Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 174, brought to you by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a sensational week six of the NFL season. We're going to break down the primetime games, the big news, the big winners, the big losers, and also get into some off-the-field shenanigans like discussing the possibility of a London Super Bowl, which I'm sure you can tell from my tone, I'm not exactly certain is a great idea or that it would even realistically work. That being said, let's start this episode like we start them all. Let's jump right in to my standout seven, and let's go right away. Number one in the standout seven, the two biggest pieces of news, the bigger story, the Eagles lost to the New York Jets, or the San Francisco 49ers loss on the road to the Cleveland Browns. Now, if you are a red zone enjoyer and caught these side by side, or maybe you just poured through the stats, maybe you watched them both, watched it back on Monday with NFL Plus replays or whatever, um, it's pretty obvious these are two fairly, fairly significantly different games. Right, we'll get started with the Niners, because I mentioned them last year. Uh, Brock Purdy easily had the worst game of his professional career that didn't end, at least temporarily, with an injury, Right, referencing that NFC Championship loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. 12 of 27, a buck 25, a touchdown and a pick. The big thing in this one is Christian McCaffrey going down with an oblique injury, and we're wondering... If he's going to be all right, they're saying, I believe there was a report already that they were talking about him being day-to-day. We'll see. Debo Samuel goes down in this one as well. Granted, Debo has not been having a tremendous season, if we're being completely honest. Uh, Not due to pro or performance, but just due to there's only one football to go around, right? Um, The other thing, and we got to give kudos here, this is a Cleveland Browns team playing with a backup QB in. Not even the backup. The guy that wasn't here a couple of weeks ago, P.J. Walker, former XFL, former Carolina Panther. We've seen him around now. 18-34, buck 92, two interceptions, not a great game. However, however, Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt combined for 29 carries, a buck 31 on the ground. You mix in Amari Cooper having half of those passing yards as his receiving yards. It went all right for them offensively. You don't want the interceptions, obviously. But... The Cleveland defense is legit, and they've shown that they are legit. This is not the first time. You look back through, they played a, uh, you know, knockdown dragout game with the Pittsburgh Steelers that they lost. They get blown out by Baltimore with a backup QB. It happens, but they shut down a Titans team that some people would say are, you know, in the hunt-ish prior to the Tannehill injury, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And, oh, by the way, back in week one, they held the Bengals to three. So... This Browns team, if Deshaun Watson gets back out there on the field, who knows? No Nick Chubb. We know that. That's an issue. But we're not here to talk about the Browns. We're here to talk about San Francisco. Why would this be the bigger loss for them? Well, it wouldn't be in the literal sense in terms of in the standings or the score. But if Christian McCaffrey is injured and or nicked up, if you're using the term, you know, we'll play through it. He's had an injury history. That's one of the reasons the Carolina Panthers got out of the Christian McCaffrey business. Because when he's on the field, more often than not, he's one of the best running backs or one of the best offensive weapons in all of football. However, there are periods of time, 
sometimes extended, where he's not on the football field. He's just not able to keep himself out there. Since going over to San Francisco, he has scored a touchdown in every regular season game he has played in, which is a remarkable pace, an impossible-to-keep-up pace. However, without McCaffrey out there, there starts to be a little bit of, okay, well, maybe we need to involve Debo a little bit more. We need to involve Ayuk a little more. Let's get some more Kittle in here, who had three touchdowns the other week, but realistically isn't one of the immediate contributors every week in their offense. Oh, by the way, Debo gets hurt in this one as well. If McCaffrey and or Debo are hurt for extended periods of time, that's a problem. Because fully operational... This San Francisco team, for my money, is probably the best team in football. Without McCaffrey, it's massive. Now, let's go here, because it's a little bit of a loaded show here. Not, Yeah, I'd say it is. Let's talk about some comments I saw in the past week. Now, obviously, this is a conversation you're having after Brock Purdy has a poor game, right? Um, actually, no, this was had prior to, excuse me, I take it back. Brock Purdy, per Shannon Sharp, not an elite QB. He's a product of the system. This was before the bad game, and obviously I would say is kind of validated by that poor performance. Granted, it's against a good Browns defense, as I said. I wanted to put this in here. didn't want to make it its own thing because realistically, I have two takes on this. One, it's hard to tell, right? Like, you can say it's obviously true, right? Brock Purdy taking tail end of the draft. Mr. Irrelevant. Of course, you know, they put him with a great core around him. He's going to look tremendous. Yeah, of course. Uh, Does Jalen Hurts have nobodies playing around him? Does Dak Prescott have nobodies playing around him? Oh, okay. Um, How about about Patrick Mahomes? You can make the argument. They've had a diminished skill position core there without Tyreek Hill, without some of the other guys, even letting Juju walk. Okay, uh, how about Tua? Is Tua a system quarterback? Because he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and uh, Devon Achan, pronouncing it properly, this week, attempting to. Um, is he a system QB as well? I think it's a little unfair. I think it's unfair. Who knows what Brock Purdy would be in a system where the QB had to shoulder more of the load. That being said... With the evidence we have in front of us, it's hard to dispute, right? It's hard to dispute what Shannon Sharp was saying, because realistically, he is that guy. He is Mr. Irrelevant, and he is playing with George Kittle, who, in his prime, at the height of his powers, was a top five tight end in the NFL. Top three, top one, depending on the Sunday, right? You're talking about Debo Samuel, who's an X-factor, running back, wide receiver, going all over the place. Brandon Ayuk, who is criminally underrated at wide receiver because he doesn't really get to flex those muscles as much as I think he could. Christian McCaffrey, who's dynamic, an O-line anchored by Trent Williams, who's one of the better tackles of the last decade. A defense featuring the reigning sack king from last season, featuring Fred Warner, featuring, you know, on and on and on and on. Um, Not to mention... Kyle Shanahan as a head coach who can help cater certain things to make his life a little bit easier. But is he to blame that he happened to fall into a good situation? Because this takes me back to the debate we had a few weeks ago. Remember when we were talking about Bill Belichick? Scroll through the episodes. If you weren't around, 
feel free to check it out. It aged not that poorly, I don't think. Um, or if not, I'll clue you in. If you got no time for that, I understand. So we were having a debate about Bill Belichick because there was someone, I forget who, if I'm being completely honest with you, on NFL Network that was saying that the Patriots' failure now is showing that Tom Brady shouldered more of the load than he was really given credit for, which I don't, I didn't think, and I still don't think was necessarily valid, considering those early Patriot teams leaned on defense and had all pros on their defense. And then we went through some of the performances Brady's put up in the Super Bowl, where he hasn't, you know, thrown for 350 and four touchdowns. People can remember the numbers he put up in that Falcons comeback game, right? But look at some of the numbers, guys. So Tom Brady was a system QB at one point, was he not? He wasn't running it all over the place, and I don't mean running it as in literally. I mean going up and down the field, best show on turf, but they were able to beat the best show on turf. So sometimes you just got to be happy with the guy who's willing to play his role. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, for all intents and purposes, was a game manager for them. And that is really the role he excels at the most. That took them to a Super Bowl. He's not the first game manager, and he won't be the last game manager to go all the way to a Super Bowl. You don't need to be a gunslinger. You don't need to put up 40 points a game sometimes. Sometimes your team is just good. Um, like I said, I tend to agree based on what we know right now. I would say he's a product of their system. In three years, however many years, if they don't want to pay him and he goes and signs a big deal somewhere, we'll find out. We'll find out if the talent is there, and we'll find out maybe even this year. Who knows? Maybe they get into a playoff game where the defense isn't playing so good. Maybe they get into a shootout. Maybe if they win the NFC, they find a way to match up with Miami, and they can't slow down all those weapons. And you're going to have to score 35 points to win the Super Bowl, 38 points. You still got to do it. Which brings us to Philly, right? The answer has to be the biggest loss, the bigger loss, is the Philadelphia Eagles. If McCaffrey and or Debo are hurt for extended periods of time, this flips on its head. It's San Francisco hands down. The reason I say it's the Eagles is because they didn't have those problems. They didn't have star players go down with an injury. In fact, if you were watching this game, and as a native and proud New Yorker, you know I certainly had no choice but to tune in here and there. Um, I think the Eagles benefited from some favorable calls, right? That's That sneak at the one-yard line on that 20-play drive, I don't think Hurts got in. They didn't call him in. Then they reviewed it, and they overturned it, which means whatever they saw was conclusive enough, eh? Okay. Sure. Then we had the A.J. Brown catch, which was reviewed, and I didn't really get a clean look at it either way. Some people would say, ball don't lie. It stays 14-12 Philly. Jalen Hurts throws three picks in this game against the Jets. And I want to give kudos to the Jets while we're here. We're not only going to be negative here, right? I know we started with the biggest loss of the week, which we do tend to do, admittedly. But this Jets team deserves to peacock a little bit. And I will not rip Robert Sala for saying that they embarrassed the QBs they've faced. Do you want to be that guy and fact check him and say, well, actually, the Dallas Cowboys scored 30 on you. Yeah, 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 they did. Well, actually, you lost to the Patriots. Yeah, and Mac Jones went 15 of 29. Like, 
this Jets defense has been really, really, really good. And they were good last year. They were. And admittedly, what this shows me is I was a little too light on the Jets to start the year. Now you might say, well, who cares? Rodgers got hurt. But I had Miami over them from the jump, which you could say, I mean, Nostradonotic might have been onto one there. Miami's offense looks elite, uh, or has looked elite at times here, prior, prior to the uh, A-Chan injury, and who knows how they're going to look uh, moving forward. They have a pretty big game coming up this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. But from what we've seen, it's fair enough. What I mean is, I said the Jets would contend for a playoff spot. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know if they could piece it together. If they had Aaron Rodgers on this team right now, I mean, are we talking 5-1? and one? Like, we could debate the Dallas game, right? But, come on. Let's look at the losses they have. They lose by 3 to Kansas City. They lose by 5 to New England. Like, they're winning both of those games easily. With Aaron Rodgers under center for them. And this is coming from someone who last year said that Rodgers, you know, looked like he was getting a little older. Didn't necessarily look tremendous all the time. But I'm going to give credit to Roboito Salad the head coach of the New York Jets and his coaching staff, and they're doing a heck of a job. Did Zach Wilson play tremendous in this game? No, not at all. 19 of 33 at buck 86. Um, but he didn't shoot them in the foot when it mattered. He did just enough. And you know what? Here we are. The Jets at 3-3 three and three after a rough stretch in which they faced the Bills, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Chiefs. That's massive. Eagles. You're the point. You're why we're here, though. You lose to the Jets, and like I said, you didn't sustain any big injuries. Three interceptions out of Jalen Hurts. Not a good look. Running game outside of Jalen Hurts was 33 yards. The passing game was 50% A.J. Brown. Seven catches for a buck 31. Oh, by the way, Sauce Gardner didn't play in this game. Just putting it out there. You lost to the Jets, and they didn't have their best corner. And oh, by the way, they didn't have their quarterback. Hello? I I mean, this is a brutal loss. It is just as brutal as the Bills' loss. Because it realistically comes down to turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. And the stick to if you will, of the New York Jets. I tip my cap to the Jets. High-quality win. And at the same time, if we're going biggest win in the score sheet, or excuse me, biggest loss in the score sheet, it's Philly. Long-term impact might be San Francisco. Let's get positive, though, folks. Number two in the standout seven, bigger story. The Baltimore Ravens beating the Tennessee Titans over in London, England. Or the Washington Commanders beating the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. Now, why did I group these two games together? Well, as we sit right now, I consider these to be two potentially B-tier powers in their conference. I think Baltimore is actually a a pretty darn good team. However, what I've seen from Baltimore on the football field does not agree with me. Um, The Commanders, on the other hand, I think are like, all right. But what I've seen on the football field sometimes does not agree with me. It thinks they're pretty darn good. Um, Let's start with Baltimore. So... You're up 18-3 at half. Very quickly, this is 18-13. You can make an argument. 
I mean, they didn't give up much at all in the passing game. Did the Tannehill injury really hurt Tennessee that much? I don't know. I mean, Willis comes in 4 of 5, 74 yards, runs for another almost 20. I don't think Tennessee's a great team, but they're, you know, they've got some pedigree the last handful of years here. They've still got Derrick Henry. It's a team that realistically could be a little bit of a bad matchup for Baltimore. Baltimore likes to run the football, right? Play complimentary with their passing game. Tennessee likes to run the football, play complimentary with their passing game. Um, Baltimore's running game was okay. 13 carries for 62 for Lamar. Um, Gus and Justice Hill combined for 24 carries, 76 yards. Not great. Tennessee still got a little bit of a pretty good defense. Um, It's a good win. And most importantly, if you're a Raven fan, it keeps you in a good position here, right? You want to be able to look at the standings and see people in your rearview mirror. Or at the least, neck and neck with you. They're 4-2. and two. They've played four games on the road already. Pittsburgh, 3-2. and two. They've played three at home. Cleveland, 3-2. and two. They've played four at home. Cincinnati, 3-3. Three and three. They've played three at home. The big dog, I would say, obviously, is Cincinnati. You want to keep them behind you. So this way, just in case, when you rematch down the road, if Joe Burrow and the Bengals are flying a little higher, they're clicking on offense, you don't have to worry about it potentially suffering a loss. However, Cleveland's defense, Pittsburgh's defense in this division is really going to muddy the waters because you tend to think they're going to be able to steal between them one game away from either Baltimore or Cincinnati or both, if we're being completely honest. Good win for Baltimore. It also keeps them in position, if we're being honest, to try and hunt for a bye, right? Try and hunt for one of those top seeds. Miami, 5-1. and one. Chiefs, 5-1. and one. Jaguars, 5-2. and two. Baltimore, 4-2. and two. Good for them. Now let's talk about the former Washington football team. I would say, in terms of standings, it's a bigger win for Baltimore. Keep that lead. In terms of kind of putting yourself in the middle of the pack and just staying in the hunt, so to speak, granted, I know we're early in the year, staying in the hunt, it's a little early for that, but this is an Atlanta team that was pretty close to making the playoffs last year, and I say that every week. Falcon fan, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say that, but it's true. Um, Therefore, if you're the Commanders, this is a team you want to beat to show, look, we can hang in there with Philly like we did, and the teams that are below Philly... We can beat them. We can beat them on their turf. You know what? That's what they went out there and did. I mean, Sam Howell goes for a buck fifty in this game. It's nothing crazy. There's not a lot of yards out of the offense at all from Washington, but they did just enough. On the other side, Desmond Ritter throws the ball 47 times. That's that's not what you want if you're a Falcon fan. Um, I'm kind of wishy-washy on Ritter, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm not going to knock him down completely because he goes 28 to 47, three picks in this one, 300 yards, two touchdowns. He's not at this point in his career, at least if he's throwing the ball 47 times, you're losing that game or at the least you are losing for the bulk of that game. That's why he's throwing the ball so much. Um, he's a complimentary quarterback right now. Will he develop into more than that? Possibly. But if Atlanta's going to win games and I think they will win some games this year, that's what they need him to be. Big game for Drake London, nine catches for a buck twenty-five. Obviously, you're throwing the ball a lot. Bijan Robinson, eighteen touches for eighty yards. Not bad. 
just not good enough to take down the commanders at home. So, in summation, bigger W in the standings for Baltimore, but Washington trying to stay in the pack. I'll give them some kudos. Although, admittedly, like I said before, biggest win out of all of them just might be the Jets. Prime time roundup, number three in the standout seven. Let's talk prime time. And who was in prime time this past week? Well, we had the Giants and the Bills on Sunday night. We'll come back to that one. Let's go backwards for once, shall we? Jaguars, fresh off of a beatdown of the Colts against the backup QB, did their job. They're playing a Saints team that's okay, right? Close loss against the Houston Texans. They go in there. At one point in this game, Jacksonville was leading, I jotted it down, it was 17-6. I think it might have been 24-9. And then the Saints just decide that they want to play too. And, I mean, Alvin Kamara with this one, 29 touches, 12 through the air, 153 yards. Michael Thomas, just three catches for 42. Um, Derek Carr winds up going 33 of 55 for 301, a touchdown and a pick. That is a lot of passing attempts. Uh, On the other side, Trevor Lawrence, who was battling an injury throughout the week, played in this game. 20 of 29, 204 and a touch. Some yards on the ground, which you didn't expect from a guy battling, I believe it was a lower body injury. Eight carries for 59. Travis Etienne winds up with 17 touches for a total of 77 yards and two touchdowns. Huge touchdown late in this game from Christian Kirk. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to dive too far into this. This Jag- this Jaguars team is good, just like, you know. I thought they would be competitive in the top half of the AFC, and you know what? They just might be. Um, and I don't mean in terms of just being a playoff team. I mean in terms of trying to fight for a bye. They're a darn good team, and they're taking advantage of their division, which is... Better than expected, but we've still got time here. The Saints, on the other hand, I really thought this team... I don't know, man. Like, the Falcons are decent right now. Tampa Bay is okay. Carolina's bad. So, coming into the year, I'm like, well, the Saints should be the team in this division. It's going to come down to the Saints and the Bucks. who's going to have a return to form or an improvement... From their quarterback. It's going to be Derek Carr or Baker Mayfield. And I don't think Derek has played tremendous. I don't think he's played bad. I mean, look at the games they've lost. They lost to Tampa Bay, obviously. 26-9. That's a bad one. You lose to Houston on the road by 7. Alright. You lose to Green Bay on the road in a random comeback by 1 point. And then you lose here to a Jaguar team that could be one of the top dogs in the AFC. Or top cats, I should say by just seven points. So they're in a lot of these games, and I guess there's something to be said for that. Next week, they're going to have Indy with a backup quarterback. Anthony Richardson done for the year, obviously. That's a winnable game. They've got the Bears after that. They've got Minnesota after that. Who knows if Kirk Cousins is still going to be running out there in the purple and gold. Then they've got a big one with Atlanta after their bye week. That stretch may determine the season, right? This is not a super hard schedule for the remainder of the year, but I think they're underachieving a little bit. Monday night football. Let's talk Cowboys-Chargers. Cowboys win this one 20-17. Dak Prescott does not throw the football to the other team. The show was stolen by a random 
Charger fan that somehow wound up on camera and then got interviewed like three times. I mean, do we need do we need to go there? Do we need to have the conversation about if she's an industry plant? Because I've heard people discussing that. Uh, maybe it, they got her information very quickly, very quickly, and she was going all kinds of hard in the stands. And look, if you guys have watched Charger games, and I'm sure you have, they don't have fans. I'm not knocking you Charger fans. I'm not knocking the Chargers. Or rather, you know what? I am knocking the Charger fans. Because the Chargers and the Rams play in Los Angeles in the biggest state in our union. And they cannot get people to go to the games, wear their colors, and cheer for them. It's it's remarkable to me. It truly is. Like, this week, if memory serves, the Rams are going to play Pittsburgh in L.A. And I can guarantee you half the crowd or more is going to be Pittsburgh Steelers fans. I don't know what it is. I, anyway, they found the one Charger fan who many people were speculating either she's a plant or she had severe amounts of money on that game. I hope for her sake she didn't have the money on the game because obviously the Chargers wind up losing this one. Um, not a great game for the Chargers. Here's some weird ones. Just some weird notes to take away from this game. Second quarter, Brandon Staley punts on fourth and shortish in no man's land. And I was like, wow, look at him go. I was certain the analytics would say uh, no, but later on, uh, both Dallas and L.A. would pass on field goals inside the 30-yard line in favor of going for it on a fourth down and short, and both teams would get stuffed. Uh, mind you, this is a game that ends 20-17 to this is not 51-49. Um, wow. Also saw something I had never seen before in that, and I don't think any of you have ever seen it before, if I'm being quite frank, that punt return faux pas by the Dallas Cowboys, and I don't even know if you can call it a faux pas because you have a Cowboy trying to jump on the ball because it looked like a player got blocked into the ball. It didn't hit the blocker. It didn't hit the returner, and then when the Cowboy touches it, it just immediately he gets swarmed and it's recovered by the Chargers which is fascinating. Um, when it mattered, Dallas played good, took the lead 20-17, 2 minutes 19 seconds for Justin Herbert, and nothing. Game ends with him throwing the football to the other team with pressure all around him. Um, Austin Eckler back in this offense. Um, if I didn't tell you, would you have noticed? 18 touches for 62 yards in this one, averaged under 2 yards a carry on the ground. Great performance by the Dallas Cowboys defense against the non-existent running game of the Chargers, and their passing game wasn't much better. Herbert, 22-37, 227, two touchdowns, and the interception I just mentioned. Wow. Um, competitive game, I would say, but uh, it's, it's almost like they're like mirror images of each other. I wouldn't call... Justin Herbert, a mirror image of Dak Prescott, per se. But there's, like, weird spats of random aggressive play calling. There's uneven performances. There's a significant amount of talent on paper that doesn't ever translate into, like, a deep playoff run. I mean, it's pretty darn similar to me. Um, Dallas walks away with the win. That's all that matters. 20-17. to Why are we talking about... Giants-Bills last. Well, we're talking about Giants-Bills last because I want to have a discussion with you guys about 
refereeing in sports. And we had this conversation a few weeks ago. Remember when everyone was whining because the Jets didn't get a favorable call or two against the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions, by the way, um, the, the team whose tight end has a potential girlfriend who is literally bringing in millions of viewers to the games uh, just by having a, you know, relationship with her. She doesn't play, by the way. They, they don't put her on the field. I've watched the games. She doesn't play. They show her enough. They show her more than most coaches. But no, she doesn't actually get on the field for these games. Anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this, and if you didn't watch the Sunday Night Football game because you thought it would be a blowout, well, I hate to break it to you, but it was actually a pretty good game. Um, in this game, the New York Giants without Daniel Jones, it didn't make a difference because the Buffalo offense was anemic for the bulk of this game. The bulk of it. Um, not to mention, the Giants found a way to lose. Despite that, let's talk about the end of the first half. I'm going to skip through the, the main points of this. I'm going to assume that you all either watched it, don't care, or know where I'm going with this. And Hopefully there's not enough people that don't fall into one of those camps where it'll make a difference. Let's talk about right before the first half. Apparently what ensued was Coach Brian Dayball and the New York Giants offensive coaching staff called a play which had a check to a run with 14 seconds left near the Buffalo goal line. They called that into their 10-plus-year veteran QB, backup QB, Tyrod Taylor, uh, under the assumption he would understand, hey, we don't have any timeouts. So this has a check to a run, but why would you do that? Don't do that. That would be dumb. To which Tyrod said, watch this. The Giants leave at least three points on the board there. Okay. We're talking 14-12 if they take that field goal, by the way. 14-12, that means that end-of-game penalty doesn't matter. You win the game. You go kick the, the chip shot. You win the game. It's over. Nope. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. By the way, Tyler Bass 0-2 in this game. Just putting that out there. 14-9, he misses two kicks. That's bad timing to have a bad day. Um, the final play of this game, was it pass interference? Yeah, you, you bet your bottom dollar it was. Uh, where's all the outcry now? I, the Jets thing lasted multiple days. You know what it was? It's because people like to hate Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen hasn't achieved enough, and this isn't a knock at Josh. He's still very young, and this Bills team is a title contender. Again. He hasn't achieved enough to have a level of hater to where people will constantly just whine and moan about him getting a favorable outcome. Because let's be honest here. The Giants might not have scored on that next play again. But it was a blatant, at the least, defensive holding against Darren Waller, which would have continued the game. Half the distance to the goal, or whatever you want to call it. Another untimed down. Buffalo still may win it. Who knows? Maybe the Giants realize that Saquon Barkley is pretty athletic and let him just jump over the pile. Not really what they tried at the end of that first half, but you know what? Once bitten, twice shy, they go with the jump pass or jump ball, I guess, even though Waller didn't jump because he's getting held. The point is, and the reason I wanted to have this discussion is, the big dogs always get the calls. Philly gets a big call against the Jets. They still lose the game. Buffalo gets a big call here and they win. 
Kansas City gets a big call a few weeks ago and they win. It just happens, right? It's it's the same thing we discussed. It's superstar calls in the NBA. It's star pitchers getting a little bit of a wider edge on the corner, right, in the strike zone. Just the way it is. You got to move on, folks. It is what it is. Best game the Giants have played this year, from start to finish, by the way, with a backup QB in. I'm not going to tell you there's a QB controversy, but if you're a Giants fan and you want to tell me there's a QB controversy, I won't argue with you. Let's move on to number four in the standout seven. Let's talk a little trade speculation here. So I'm pulling up an article here from Bleacher Report. Admittedly, it's a couple of weeks old. NFL trade block big board. Let's go through some of the names and talk about places that could be fun for them to land. Let me know what you guys think. Comment section, uh, if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. couple of names being mentioned here. Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro could be a pretty big addition to a couple of offenses. Mind you, Hunter Renfro has... Nine targets. Nine targets this season. Uh, Last year, he had just 330 yards. uh, Injury-riddled season. The year before, he had 1,038 yards. His first two seasons, the ones prior to that, he had 605 and 656. A reliable target for Derek Carr. Derek Carr is no longer there. Well, could we see Hunter Renfro potentially go link up with his old buddy in New Orleans? Possibly, though I'm under the impression, and I have been for years, and I've been told over and over that New Orleans' cap situation is absolutely horrid, and that's one of the reasons Sean Payton moved on, because he didn't really care enough to see through to the end of that. Um, that being said, it wouldn't be a horrible fit. You take a look up and down the standings, and you say, who needs another wide receiver? Well, if we're keeping it in the NFC, Philly's pretty stacked, and they just brought in Julio Jones. What will he contribute? We'll find out. Um... Dallas is pretty good at wideout, right? The Commanders would be a little bit of a spicy one, though I like I like what that could bring, right? Hunter Renfro, a reliable underneath sort of option. San Francisco, if the Debo Samuel injury is more serious, but I don't see that being a fit. Um, Seattle's got wide receivers. The Rams have wide receivers. Detroit, maybe. I don't know, being a number two or number three in an offense with Amon Ra and Jamison Williams, who's supposed to be a big deep threat. We'll see how that pans out for them. Um, Somebody in the NFC South could be interesting. I don't see Tampa Bay trading for a wide receiver with Mike Evans potentially also on the trade block. That'd be a little weird to me, but I could see it potentially happening. Um, Other names, obviously the next one would be Mike Evans. That would be a massive big ticket one. And the team that people have kicked around for it would be Kansas City. Because as of right now, Kansas City's number one receiving threat, obviously, is Travis Kelsey. And number two is kind of dependent on the matchups they like and dependent on the scheme that Andy Reid and Coach Nagy have drawn up that given week. Could we see a Mike Evans in Baltimore? I could see him wearing Baltimore colors, but they did bring in Odell Beckham, which hasn't panned out so far, but we'll see how that goes. Um... Another contender, maybe a team like the Chargers, who are down Mike Williams, 
Would they bring in Mike Evans to be sort of a rental? It's a big ask, I would say. Um, A team like Cleveland, considering they're down a running back, would they try to shift into more of a pass-heavy offense? I'm not sure about that one. Cincinnati trying to make a late-season push. Their receiving room is stacked. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm not sure Evans gets moved. I could see Renfro being moved because the price will be a little lower, especially because they're just not using him. Um, Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings is another one that's been kicked around over and over, with the obvious target being the New York Jets. They're improved if they get Kirk Cousins. My stance is the same as it was a handful of weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen, feel free. I thought maybe they should be in the market. I would be one of those guys that would work out Carson Wentz. Go see what you can get out of Jameis Winston. Why not? Because Zach Wilson is not ready right now. Will he be a good QB one day? I do think it's possible. But right now, I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with Zach Wilson. It's just too soon. He's too young. He's not ready. Josh Jacobs, back to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I'm not sure a team would want to do that. Just because teams don't want to spend on running backs nowadays, it would be a very pure rental. If they're not willing to spend money, are they really willing to trade draft capital for him? It'd have to be a low pick. I don't think the Raiders would really get what they're looking for there. Keeping it in the running back department, Derek Henry, potentially, because of the injuries to... Ryan Tannehill, or the injury to Ryan Tannehill. Could we see in the the rumored teams here from Bleach Report, Baltimore and Cleveland? That would be a massive trade in conference. Um, I don't think Cleveland would be in the Derrick Henry market. I know Nick Chubb is hurt, but I believe Henry still has years remaining. I'll double-check that real quick. I mean, it's quite the... uh, Quite the dual-headed attack here, right? Yeah, he's not listed as... Oh, no, he's listed unrestricted free agent. Yeah, he's listed 2026 per spot rack, which is where we go here for our uh, contract information needs. I don't know about that one. Baltimore, I could see that happening. I mean, at that point, you have a lightning and thunder attack, and it's literally just your QB and your running back. That could be insane. Um, but, like I said, in conference, that I'd have that hard to believe. And I think Titans fans, realistically, he's their guy. You're going to trade Derrick Henry? Like, he's the franchise. If he's gone, I tend to think you're going to see a lot more empty seats. Then even if they're not a great team, there will still be people there to watch Derrick try and do his business. Um, they have T. Higgins listed here. I don't see T. Higgins getting traded. They have Ryan Tannehill here. Obviously, he's injured now. Kareem Jackson of the Denver Broncos. Possibly. mid 30 safety. Some big hits and penalties this year. Hmm. I'm not sure that's a big one for me, personally. Uh, Daniil Hunter of the Minnesota Vikings. Could be an interesting one. Pass rusher. 28 years old. 10 sacks last year. Could be a good piece. I could see that happening. Uh, Chase Young of the Commanders, another pass rusher, super athletic, still young, but he's had injury issues. And there's potentially not going to be a contract coming his way from Washington. Although, if you're the Commanders, are you going to really, like, just let it play out at that point? 
because you may be in the hunt for a playoff spot. You're going to trade him. If you're going to trade him to a team that's trying to make the playoffs, potentially as a wild card like you, he'd have to flip conferences. You have to go to the AFC. If there's a buyer, if there's a trade that made sense, maybe. I'm not sure about that one. Um, Just a brief little trade discussion here. I know the NFL, and I I tend to think this was a behind-closed-doors thing. Uh, Let me put on my tinfoil hat for you. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is discussed ad nauseum for a month plus. And the day of, there's a trade deadline special on MLB Network, and fans are all in a flurry. Ooh, is our team going to get better? Are we buyers? Are we sellers? Are we buyers? Are we sellers? The NBA, most years, has a decent chunk of talent that has moved at the trade deadline, with every couple of years there being a real big star who gets their team flipped, right? That being said, um, the NFL doesn't really have that. So maybe now there's some encouragement from the league and or ownership. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody saying, hey, you know, this would really stir up some excitement in the fans. You know, this would really get some clicks. You know, this would really drive some ratings on these TV shows. It wouldn't hurt to have some additional interest floating around in a middle point of the year. Doesn't only have to be for the Super Bowl and for this and for that. And you know what? I don't disagree with them. I think an active trade deadline is fun for the fans. Unless your team is selling. And you know what? If your team is selling, that's the team sending a message to you that you need to start looking at some prospects. Who are we going to get next year? Are we in on Caleb Williams? Are we going to try and get Marvin Harrison Jr.? Oh boy, he looks tremendous. I like it. I like the move. Whether it's a concerted effort and my tinfoil hat theory is correct or not, I like the move a lot. I really do. I think it's it's a good idea. And it can only help. And realistically, if you're a team trying to contend, especially because in the NFL, injuries stack up a lot more, I would say, or significant injuries maybe, um, than in other sports. That's not to say they can't stack up in things like baseball and basketball, but it's a more physical sport. The chances of it happening are higher. So why not go out there and make a big deal? Let's see what happens. That'll bring us to number five in the standout seven, where I rant for about... uh, well, maybe two to three minutes. Let's see how long this goes about the potential of a London Super Bowl. Supposedly, this was being kicked around by Roger Goodell himself, who, by the way, got himself an extension through 2027. And I can't blame the owners for doing so because he's realistically overseeing kind of a uh, golden age of the league. They're growing and growing and growing and growing, and they are number one. They've overtaken baseball, overtaken basketball. They can do no wrong, realistically. I mean, Certainly they've done some wrong, and I think we all know some of the things they have done. But in terms of ratings, in terms of uh, ad share, revenue rather, um, everything's coming up green check marks for the NFL, so congrats to Roger. However, the London Super Bowl is not a good idea. Never mind the fact, never mind the fact that the time difference is such that you are hosting NFL games at 9.30 in the morning on Sunday, your day. You are colonizing the day even further, which may be the goal. Time in London, UK, as we're recording this, shows me that there is a five-hour time difference. The Super Bowl starts traditionally somewhere in the neighborhood of 6, 6.30 Eastern time. So 
if you wanted that to be the local time at the start of the Super Bowl, you would be playing a 1 p.m. Super Bowl, and that's not feasible. So what would the perfect time be? Because the NFL, I assume, through data or through research or through throwing a dart at a wall, has decided on 6, 6.30 is the perfect time. It will give us enough time to do the game, do the halftime show, do some post-game, and people can still go to work tomorrow, right? Some people. Some people, if your team wins, you're not going to work tomorrow, and that's fair. You do what you want. But you get what I'm getting at here, right? It's interesting to me because you'd wind up in a situation where if you want to keep that East Coast time slot, which I'd assume you'd want to try to, you're talking a damn near midnight kick in Britain. Maybe they'd do it. Maybe they'd buy it, right? I mean, the UFC is massive, right? UFC pay-per-views, the main event's usually not hitting the arena, or not hitting the arena, excuse me, hitting the octagon until somewhere in the neighborhood of at the least 10 p.m., 11 p.m., maybe midnight. And the same goes for big boxing events. So maybe since they're used to big boxing pay-per-views over there, they wouldn't mind a game kicking off at 11.30. But the problem is a fight, a boxing match, we're talking, what, 12 three-minute rounds? An MMA fight, championship fight, you're talking five five five-minute rounds. An NFL football game with a 30-minute halftime show, we're talking a four-hour mark on the calendar here. All right, so let's say that leaves them at 3.30 in the morning to drive home. Nobody's going to work the next day. It's not possible. It's not It's not a thing. Productivity grinds to a halt. All right, it is what it is. So let's say you want to meet somewhere in the middle. Let's say you want 9 o'clock London time. That's 4 p.m. U.S. People are out and about, right? That's why things are in the evening, because most people are home. They're eating dinner, or they're at home, or if they're going out to a party, they're at the Super Bowl party. 4 p.m. is is not ideal. And I haven't even gotten into the logistics of it to where if you're going to reward, and this is my opinion, right? Holy my opinion. If you're going to reward a city that doesn't have a team with the Super Bowl, why would it not be an American city? And if it's not going to be an American city, wouldn't it be a hell of a lot easier for everyone if it was Toronto or Mexico City? Is that not easier? Come on, guys. You, you can't lie to me and tell me. Is it not easier in even Rio de Janeiro? Like, we're going, I get it. You want to grow the game overseas. I remember NFL Europe. I remember it. Or Europa, one or the other. But it's just not a great idea, I don't think. Why not? branch into Canada. The other major sports have Canadian teams. Hockey has multiple. The NBA had a Canadian champion a few years ago. Major League Baseball, the Blue Jays are big news. They won multiple titles in the 90s. Why doesn't the NFL have a team in Canada? Why doesn't the NFL add a team in Toronto and a team in Mexico City? That's so much easier for everyone. If we're so willing to go outside of a team with a excuse me, outside of a city with a team? How come we didn't have a Super Bowl in Vegas? What are we doing? We didn't do Vegas? We'll do London, which is harder for everybody. 
We've done Arizona like 13 times, it feels like. Every four years, it's in Arizona. We didn't do Vegas. Now they got a team. Now you could do Vegas. Huh. That's interesting. I don't think it works. And I didn't even get into the fact that it's going to be a travel nightmare. Who knows how things are going to go. Where the team's going to practice over there. They're going to have to make deals with local soccer clubs. Or football clubs. Footy. To practice over there. I mean, it sounds like a logistics nightmare, if I'm being completely honest with you. Especially because you'd be leaving earlier because you're going overseas and you're not trying to be super duper Omega jet lagged. I don't know. I uh, I don't think it's a tremendous idea. But you know what? I'm just a guy online with a microphone, right? If, it, if the money people tell Roger it's going to make money, I'm sure we'll get it. And you know what? As much you know, bleep as I talked about it, I'll be watching that game at 4 o'clock. I'm going to tune in either way. I'll be watching it. How are they going to do it? Is the halftime show going to be even longer now to try and hit the prime time in the U.S.? Interesting. Fascinating idea that I don't think is a good one. Next up in the standout seven, while we're talking about things that are loosely affiliated with real life, Apparently, flag football is going to be in the 2028 Olympics. I believe it's in L.A. Um, That's exciting. I would say, and a couple reactions. One, cool, I guess. The the memes online, the gags online were pretty funny. Talking about Tyreek Hill getting guarded by a a librarian from Estonia or being guarded by just a a cab driver from insert country here that doesn't play football. Um, I... Does football have that groundswell, American football, have that groundswell of support to where this should be an Olympic sport? Um, Or particularly flag football, which is not as rigorous on the body, so NFL players can play, right? Because the teams don't want their players getting hurt not playing for them, and they especially don't want them getting hurt playing football not playing for them. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll find out is the answer, right? We'll find out how big it is. I know there's Australian rules football. I know there's Canadian football. Is there Brazilian football? Is there Chinese football? Um, I don't know. The people were saying since it's flag football, maybe we'll see te- countries that have really good track and field or sprinters try them out. You know, the B team from track and field could do it. Maybe they could. That could be interesting. Um, biased, right? As I am inclined to be. I kind of wish that mixed martial arts got a nod as well. No, I know baseball got a nod. Didn't get a nod for 24, but got a nod for 28. That's neat. Um, Just me, though. I'm a mixed martial arts fan, so I I think it would have been cool to see them uh, add that in to the Olympic Games. But we'll see. I'll watch flag football. I think it'll be interesting. If we do anything but dominate, it will be a massive disappointment. But to be honest, at this point, that's what most Americans expect out of our Olympic teams, period. Dominance, go win, otherwise you failed us, seems to be the motto. Alrighty, standout seven getting a little bloated here. Let's go to number seven. Let's talk some news and notes roundup real quick. Um, This one was a weird one. I just wanted to throw this in. We didn't talk about the Raiders-Patriots game for good reason. It wasn't a great game. It was close, but I mean, come on. Late in this game... There's an onside punt 
which was fascinating to me. After a safety, we saw an onside punt. And I'd never seen it before. The The intriguing part to me being that... And it was obviously the Patriots, I believe. I wrote down Raiders safety, but I meant that they scored the safety. The Patriots kicked the punt. And can't you just... Because it's a punt. For all intents and purposes, the safety free kick is a punt, no? So can't you just fair catch it? Like, you still got to punt it. Or you just kick it straight into the ground? I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Not to mention, considering it is a punt... In normal play, if you punt the football and no one on the receiving team touches it, that doesn't mean you recover it. That just means you downed it. So, and I'm asking the audience. I don't have an answer to this. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Who gets the ball if the team punting after a safety downs their own punt? Is that treated like a, a kickoff where you down? Obviously, if you kick it off and the receiving team doesn't touch it and you recover it, it's your ball. But... How does that work with a free kick? That's very odd. I've never seen that before. I don't know if I'll ever see that again. But I I had to mention that because it's not often you see something you haven't seen before and you might never see again in an NFL game. Um, Either way, other news and notes. Um, There's an investigation. This is not really NFL related, but it loosely is, so I'll mention it. There's an investigation currently into Coach Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan about sign stealing, which is fascinating to me, as we see the Houston Astros win Game 5 of the ALCS today. Yeah, yeah, I know. Don't worry. Don't worry, New York fan that just sighed out there. I know. Don't worry, Dodger fan that just sighed out there. I know. Uh, Just fascinating to me because there's been rumors over and over about Jim Harbaugh coming back to the NFL. Well, if there's going to be a significant punishment, usually that's when coaches tend to get out of there, ask Pete Carroll. So... Who knows, maybe we'll see some more rumors of him returning to the NFL very soon. Another one I wanted to mention here that I jotted down. Obviously, there's some injury news. Justin Fields, I believe he's not going to go this week. Anthony Richardson done for the year. The Chiefs traded back for Nicole Hardman after letting him walk. Because the Jets don't want him anymore. Because, okay... Um, and here's one that I just had to throw in here. We didn't mention Saquon Barkley, by the way, in the trade discussion, and that's because he's made it explicitly clear he doesn't want to be traded. Not that that matters to teams, if we're being completely honest. Um, if I was the Giants and I was one in, what, one in five, I would trade Saquon Barkley, because they're not going to re-sign him. So I'd go trade him expeditiously fast. Um, either way, and I love Saquon Barkley, but it had to be said. Devontae Adams after the team defeated the Patriots, per Adam Schefter. Raiders All-Pro Devontae Adams, coming off a two-catch win over the New England Patriots, acknowledged he's frustrated with his diminished role. I'm sure you people are... This is a quote, by the way, this last part. I'm sure you people are thinking they won the game. Why is there an issue? I mean, you see why it's an issue. Y'all should know who I am. Know what I'm about at this point. You're a player like me, mentally... My benchmark is not wins and losses. It's greatness. When I go out there, I expect to be able to have an ability to put that on tape and have an influence on the game. That's my purpose for being out there. I'm not here just to hang out. I came here to win and to do it the right way. 
So, like, that last sentence sounds like he realized he was being honest, and he was like, oh, bleep, I need to stop talking. I came here to win and to do it the right way. You won. You just admitted you won. You talked about it in that sentence. You won the game. You did it. What are you talking about? And look, at least he's being honest. Because the first thing I was going to say is, you know, he went to the Raiders to play with Derek Carr. What, to play with his buddy? That was the inclination, right? Or the implication, rather. That he wanted to play with his college buddy. They were very close, and they were going to play football together and make a bunch of money and throw some touchdowns and maybe make some Pro Bowls. But nobody thought that made the Raiders a Super Bowl contender. So I, I guess... He just wants to put up his stats and make his money and do his thing. And that's how he's happy. If that's the case, who knows? Maybe he's a trade target. I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. You can get a bit for him if you want to deal him. I don't know what kind of cap implications that would have. But, uh, okay. Sure. Um, sure. Just uh, let everybody know that you don't... You, you kind of care about winning, but at the same time, you're like, eh, you know, it's... I mean, if we don't win, it's not the biggest deal, you know? Very odd. That'll bring us to the end of the Standout 7. Take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the Pick'em portion. And no London game this week. We're going to go right into the 1 p.m. slate, and we're going to get started in the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons heading to Raymond James to take on the Buccaneers. The Falcons have no one listed on their injury report for this one. The Buccaneers listing just two. Nose tackle Vita Vea with a foot injury, questionable, as well as outside linebacker Anthony Nelson, questionable in the concussion protocol. This is a tough one. Because as much as I talked about the Falcons and how they shouldn't be throwing the ball that much, they barely lose to the Commanders. I don't know. I don't know if this Buccaneers team is going to live up to expectations. I Realistically, this game is really a toss-up for me. I'm going to go with the Bucks. They're at home. Let's see what happens. Why not? Next, yeah, that's my explanation. I'm sorry, folks. I mean, I like the Bucks' defense, championship pedigree, Mike Evans, Godwin, and all that. But when it comes down to it, I think this game really is kind of a pick em. So, you know what? Whichever way you're leaning, I'm leaning Tampa Bay. Next, the Vegas Raiders head to Chicago to take on the Justin Fields-less Bears. The Raiders... Going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo, who's in the concussion protocol. Uh, also going to be without two corners, Nate Hobbs with an ankle and Jacorian Bennett with a shoulder-slash-knee. The Bears, as we said, not going to have fields with that thumb injury. They're also going to be without running back Roshan Johnson in the concussion protocol, offensive lineman Nate Davis with an ankle, and two DBs, Eddie Jackson with a foot, and Terrell Smith with an illness. Questionable, two more O-linemen, Dan Feeney with a knee, Darnell Wright with a shoulder, and DB Jaquan Brisker with a groin. So we're going to get Aiden O'Connell versus, what was the Bears' backup's name? Steve Bajent? Was it Bajent? I I believe so. Um, I don't, I have no clue who's going to win this game. Tyson Bajent, excuse me, why did I say it was Steve Bajent? Tyson Bajent. He went 10 of 14, 83 yards, an interception, and a rushing touchdown. In a close loss to the Vikings. By the way, we didn't talk about the Vikings. I mean, come on. Justin Fields gets hurt. 
He only he only accounts for about 100 yards in this game, and you barely win. Oh my goodness. Anyway, I don't know. I don't. Th- the Bears seemed like their offense was kind of turning a little bit of a corner for a minute there. Now Fields is hurt. I guess I'll go with the Raiders. Maybe after Devontae Adams' comments, Aiden O'Connell just throwing the ball like 40 times, and he'll catch like nine of them for 175 yards. Give me the Raiders to win on the road. We're not off to a hot start this week, ladies and gentlemen, and it may not get any better in the battle. For, well, this isn't really the battle for Baltimore, is it? I mean, we've got the Cleveland Browns heading to Indy to take on the Colts. Now, in a weird way, this is kind of like the battle of Baltimore, isn't it? Because wasn't it the Baltimore Colts at one point, and then Cleveland Browns were relocated to Either way, uh, the Browns going to be without linebacker Sione Takitaki with a hammy. Questionable, yet again, though he returned to practice this week. QB Deshaun Watson with a shoulder injury. Running back Kareem Hunt with a thigh. Tight end Harrison Bryant with a hip. And corner Greg Newsom with a hammy. Colts are going to be without their QB for the rest of the year, as we said. As well as, for this game, tight end Tyler Granson with a concussion. Offensive lineman Braden Smith with a hip-slash-wrist injury. Questionable wide receiver Alec Pierce with a shoulder injury. If this is going to be a backup bowl, P.J. Walker versus Minshew, Eileen Minshew. However, this Browns defense is legit. If Kareem Hunt can get out there and they can salvage up some yards between him and Jerome Ford, this is going to be a gritty one. You might want to bet the under in this one and the over on the turnovers. Give me Cleveland to win on the road. Next, we've got an NFC East showdown between teams kind of heading different directions. The Washington Commanders head to Joy Z to take on the 1-5 Giants. Commanders listing nobody on their NFL.com injury report for this one. Giants going to be without left tackle Andrew Thomas yet again with a hamstring injury, as well as Matt Pert with a shoulder and John Michael Schmitz with a shoulder. Questionable quarterback Daniel Jones with a neck. Offensive lineman Evan Neal, superstar, with an ankle injury. And corner Adoree Jackson with a neck injury as well. As weird as it sounds... When Daniel Jones plays, the Giants usually have a really good shot against the Commanders. I don't know if he's going to go in this one. I'll take the Commanders. If Jones goes, this could go the other way. But if it's going to be Tyrod, no matter if it's in Jersey or on the moon, I'm obligated. I'm going to take the Commanders to win this one on the road. Next, we've got one of my favorites, a classic battle between a bird and a cat as the Detroit Lions head to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Lions going to be without running back David Montgomery with a rib injury, as well as offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with an ankle. Questionable for this one, another running back, Craig Reynolds with a hammy slash toe. Wide receiver Josh Paschal with a knee. Tight end James Mitchell with a hammy. And I'm sure Jameer Gibbs fantasy owners out there are praising the sky, even though Dan Campbell will find another reason to, you know. Craig Reynolds battling an injury, 25 carries. Either way. Ravens going to be without two on the defensive side. Corner Kevon Seymour with an ankle injury and safety Marcus Williams with a hammy. I'm going to take Detroit in this game. Coming into the season, I thought, you know, all right, well, Baltimore will probably be doing their thing. And realistically, they're sitting at four and two, but I haven't been very impressed with them. And I'm going to take Detroit. If Detroit puts some points up in this game and Jared Goff doesn't throw the ball to the other team, I think they could just outrun them. I don't know if Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense can keep up. Let's see what their defense can do to chip in for some turnovers, but I'm taking the Lions on the road. 
Next, our final 1 o'clock game is an AFC East showdown, which will be exciting for not many people. The Buffalo Bills head to Gillette to take on the New England Patriots. Bills going to be without tight end Quinton Morris with an ankle, as well as D-tackle Ed Oliver with a toe. Questionable corner Cam Lewis with a shoulder. Oh my lord, every time we get to the Patriots game, I have to take a real deep breath for their injury report. They're going to be without offensive lineman Riley Reef with a knee injury. Defensive lineman Keon White, who's in the concussion protocol. Linebacker Josh Uche with a knee-slash-foot injury as well. Questionable. Wide receiver Demario Douglas, who's in the concussion protocol. Wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte, who's had a hamstring injury. Wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, who's got a concussion. Tight end Hunter Henry, who's battling an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Trent Brown with a chest. Cole Strange with a knee. David Andrews with an ankle. Mike Nwenu with an ankle. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee. Trey Flowers with a foot, Davin Godcho with an ankle, and DBs, Jonathan Jones with a knee, Sean Wade with a shoulder, Cody Davis with a knee, Jack Jones with a hammy, Kyle Duggar with a foot. I'm taking the Bills. We had to do that. We had to give you the injury report. I'd like to keep you all informed out there. I'm taking the Bills. You're taking the Bills. I'm taking the Bills. I do have a little bit of cause to pause. Josh Allen didn't play great, and they said he was a little nicked up, potentially a shoulder injury after that game against the Giants. Bill Belichick can scheme it up with the best of them, but he's got 40 people on the injury report. He doesn't know where his quarterback play is going to be this week. I'm taking the Bills on the road to beat down Bill in Foxborough. Next, we've got our first of two 405 kicks. The Arizona Cardinals taking on the Seattle Seahawks from Seattle. Cardinals going to be without Kyler Murray with a knee injury, and it's worth noting he has returned to practice. There's no timeline in getting him back out there, but we glazed over it because... No timeline, it's hard for us to speculate, but he is listed on the injury report officially this week. They're also going to be without offensive lineman Elijah Wilkinson with a neck injury, corner Antonio Hamilton with a groin, and safety Jalen Thompson with a hammy. Questionable for them in this game, wide receiver Zach Paschal with a neck injury, D-lineman Kevin Strong with a calf, linebacker Josh Woods with a back, and three DBs, Garrett Williams with a knee, Catrell Clark with a hammy, and Buda Baker with a hammy as well. For the Seahawks, questionable wide receiver DK Metcalf with a hip injury. Running back Zach Charbonnet with a hammy. Tremendous name. Three offensive linemen as well. Jake Curhan with an ankle. Phil Haynes with a calf. And center Evan Brown with a hip. The Cardinals were a fun little, you know, we're being competitive sort of thing. But they're in Seattle for this one. Uh, it'd be a big pick. Seattle at 3-2, and two, trying to stay above 500, trying to stay on in the hunt in the NFC, and I think they'll be able to do so. Give me Seattle to win at home. Next, our only other 4-0-5 kick is an interesting matchup as we got the Pittsburgh Steelers heading to the West Coast to take on the Rams. Steelers going to be without their tight end, Pat Fryermuth, in this game with a hamstring injury. Rams going to be without their running back, Kyron Williams, with an ankle, as well as D-tackle Lorel Murchison with a knee injury. Questionable, wide receiver Ben Skoranek battling an Achilles, linebacker Ernest Jones with a knee, NDB Darion Kendrick with a personal matter. This game is kind of a toss-up, and it's a weird matchup for a couple of reasons. Well, obviously without Kyron Williams, I think the Rams running game is going to take a hit, not to mention they're going up into a Pittsburgh defense, which has been really good, right? Best player on Pittsburgh's defense, TJ Watt. He gets to the quarterback. He does his job. Best thing the Rams do on offense, drop back, straight up, throw the football. Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, 
mix in some Higby and some other guys. So is TJ Watt going to be able to wreck this game before Aaron Donald on the other side tries to wreck this game? As far as offensive firepower goes, I got to give the edge to LA, but you also got to remember, like I said before, this crowd's going to be at least half Pittsburgh fans. It's going to be a Pittsburgh home game. It could get gritty in this one. It could wind up 19-16. Matt Stafford does tend to throw the football to the other team sometimes. I'm going to take the Rams in this one, but I'm not exactly confident in it. Despite the fact that they're at home, better QB, better number one receiver. Pittsburgh's defense for real. This one uh, is a toss-up. Next, we head to the 425 slate, where we've got an N, excuse me, an AFC West showdown. The LA Chargers, fresh off of a tough primetime loss, no rest for the wicked. They head to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chargers going to be without wide receiver Jalen Guyton in this one with a knee injury, as well as D-lineman Otito Agbania with a knee, corner Dean Leonard with a hammy, and safety Alohi Gold. Gilman, excuse me, with a heel. Uh, also questionable for this one, safety Derwin James. And, you know, the Chargers have got some uh, some great names on their roster, and I, I'm stalling. Questionable also for this one, linebacker Eamon Ogbong Bemiga with a groin. I think we hit that one right on the nose. Charger fan, let me know. The, the one Charger fan, that lady that they showed in primetime. Let me know uh, if I got that one right. That's a tough name. That is a baller name, though. High quality. He makes the all... You know what? At the end of the year, if I remember, I always mention, ooh, that's a 10 out of 10 name. We're going to have our... You know, everybody has their own all pros and this like that. We're going to have the all-name team. We'll go through the positions. We'll go all 22 if we can. I mean, kicker, you're kind of limited. Punter, you're kind of limited. But we'll try to go through... At least the All-22 will get the All-Name team at the end of the year. That is my very loose promise to you that I will likely forget, but I'll jot it down. Anyway, back to the football. The Chiefs going to be without wide receiver Justin Watson with an elbow injury. Questionable, corner Jalen Watson with a thigh injury. Chargers off a tough loss. They're a team that I can never peg down. It would not shock me if they found a way to win this. However... I'm not taking them to do it. I'm not taking them to go into Kansas City and win this game. I picked them to do it in the past when they were riding high and they let me down. I'm not going to pick them when they're coming off a loss and their coach has been making questionable decisions all year. No. Give me the Chiefs to win this one and really grab a stranglehold on their division. Our next 425 kick is an interesting matchup about a decade and a half ago. Well, maybe Maybe in the 90s. I believe this is a Super Bowl rematch, is it not? The Green Bay Packers taking on the Denver Broncos from Empower Field at Mile High. At the least, it's the Sharp Bowl, right? Sterling Sharp and Shannon Sharp. Either way, Packers, doubtful. Linebacker Devondre Campbell with an ankle. Questionable. Lead back Aaron Jones with a hammy. Offensive lineman Elkton Jenkins with a knee. And Yash Neiman with a knee as well. D-lineman Devontae Wyatt with a knee. Linebacker Quay Walker with a knee. Corner Jair Alexander with a back, corner Eric Stokes with a foot, and two safeties Darnell Savage and Zane Anderson with a calf and hammy, respectively. For the Broncos, just one tight end Greg Dulcich going to miss this one with a hamstring injury. I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of, uh, well, I know what the Broncos are, and I kind of know what the Packers are, but (laughs) I'm going to take the Packers in this one. 
I'm going to operate under the assumption we're going to see Aaron Jones this week. Maybe not. We'll find out. Um, either way, this Bronco team is weird. Let's see if Jordan Love can't bring home another win for the Cheeseheads. Next, we have our Sunday night football matchup between the Dolphins and the Eagles. It's going to be a huge one. Dolphins going to be without Jalen Ramsey, who's still rehabbing an offseason injury. Uh, questionable, fullback Alan Ingold, Alec Ingold, excuse me, with a foot injury. Center Connor Williams with a groin. Corner Xavier Howard with a groin. And corner Nick Needham with an Achilles. Eagles going to be without corner Bradley Roby with a shoulder. And safety Reed Blankenship with a rib injury. This game is one of the best matchups we'll probably see all year. And I mean that I'm not even being sarcastic and I'm not exaggerating. This is a high-flying Miami offense, and they're catching the Eagles right after a loss, so you know they want to win this one bad. They're at home. I'm going to take the Dolphins. I'm big in this, you know what I mean? Always talking about go make a statement win, and I gave them the chance before against Buffalo, and they got snuffed out. And you know what? If I'm not going to make the same mistake twice and take Tua to win this one on the road... Against his old teammate, Tua, against Jalen Hurts. Ooh, actually, that makes me think Jalen's going to get the boys up to play for this one. Tua took his job before, and now he's going to take a victory on the gridiron. Give me Tua. Give me the Dolphins. The more I think about it, the more I don't think I should, but let's just get through it. Dolphins to win on the road in Sunday night football. Our Monday night matchup live from Minnesota. The San Francisco 49ers head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. 49ers beat up. Will McCaffrey go? Hard to tell. Will Debo go? We don't know yet. No injury report out as we're recording this episode for this game. I'll default, I guess. I'll take the Niners to win. It's primetime Kirk. Although, I have a weird feeling there's a weird storm brewing of primetime Kirk, who's always bad against Brock Purdy, who's always tremendous, and it's the 49ers, and they look like world beaters. These two things could cause a sort of eclipse and flip the polarity, and Kirk Cousins could throw, like, two touchdowns to Jordan Addison, and Alexander Madison could have a great game or something crazy. Uh, I'm going to take the Niners, but just on the off chance we see a werewolf in the next few days, you'll know why. Next, we've got our Thursday night matchup of Week 8. Week 8, can you believe it, folks? Halfway through the season almost already. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Buffalo to take on the Bills, another primetime game for them. Uh, I'm taking the Bills to win this game. Eh, Come on. Uh, No. Buffalo at home, they're not going to play poorly in back-to-back primetime games, though I will say this. If they look how they did against the Giants, they will lose to this Tampa Bay team. This Tampa Bay team, as presently constituted, is better than the Giants team they just faced. That'll bring us to the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode and the end of episode number 174 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend. We'll break down week eight's action. We're getting towards the midpoint of the season. I think week nine, we're going to go for our midseason awards, maybe week 10. It's weird with an 18-week thing to see where we want to get it in. We want teams to have played eight games, nine games. I'll let you guys know. It definitely won't be next week, but I will let you know next week what we're planning for midseason awards. Looking back on how our early season picks look <coughs> horrible. <coughs> Pick the Bengals. Anyway, thanks for joining us. It's your first time or your 174th. 
Join us again next week. Milestone number, I guess, 175. Certainly a big number. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.